that's so judgmental of you. How do you know <laughs> without all the, you know, without the robes and everything, just, just, you know, Mr. Thomas, not Justice Thomas. I'm sure Harlan would have been friends with him. You know, they struck Probably. a conversation up at a deli or something. The, their love of, well, this is like the 90s when they met. So their love of Super Mario Bros. 3. going on everybody how are you feeling how are you hanging how are you i didn't mean to start it like that but here we are uh on another tuesday i'm excited it's been a while since i've streamed i've strummed um strumming my pain on the i'm not why why do i have to sing why um i haven't strummed since friday well i didn't strum on friday because i went out of town and uh, so we didn't do the bonus bish. So I've got all these, I've got all these thoughts and feelings. And um, mostly I am tired of everything. Is anyone else just like, it's almost like we need a show where we can just bitch about the news. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, dig into some things. That is this show right here, The Bituation Room. And I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. We have such a good show. Uh, Mike Figueredo of The Humanist Report, who, if you don't know his work, you should. Um, uh, crushing it on YouTube for many years now. So he's joining me to talk about Clarence Thomas corruption, Tennessee lawmakers and their corruption. Um, and then a final fun segment, which of the following Biden flops do you think deserve a prize? Do you think, anyway, there's a lot of them lately, right? Biden hasn't done anything good in a while. So um, we'll talk about that. It also seems like he is running, is, isn't, is. I think he is. Are we, we're running, we're doing this, okay? Um, but um, I'm curious to see what you guys think are some of the biggest flops uh, that you've, you know, or the stuff that you haven't heard being reported, right? Um, so we'll get into that. Um, also, uh, uh, what else? Well, well, I'm going to get into what I'm bitching about in, in very, very, very shortly because uh, I've been holding back the past few weeks, but not anymore. Not anymore. That being said, we do have a bonus bish this Friday, and I think we should talk about how uh, right-wingers are tweeting out baby photos of themselves, and they all just look like baby Nazis. So maybe we can get into that little meme on Friday for the bonus bish again, which is free for everyone to watch at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, just like this show on Tuesdays. But if you want to watch it back, if you want it into your ears as a podcast, become a patron, patreon.com slash room to support this show. You get a bunch of perks. Let me count the perks. You get 20% discount on merch. You get access to the uh, Ask Me Anythings, which we haven't done in a little bit of time, but I need them questions flowing. I think we'll do one and look into my, uh, again, the books back there. Um, we, you get access to the American Prospect as e, uh, online, no paywalls, but also you get a 60% per discount on the paper version. So that is in your welcome note. It's also there on Patreon. If you want the American Prospect, I love having it in my hands. You guys know that I frequently write the final uh, parting shot of, of the magazine. So big believer in um, left magazines. As some of you know, I used to edit and be part of the Left Turn Collective. Um, so yeah, that shout out to the OGs who know that about me uh, and know how invested I am and how much I love print journalism and especially lefty print journalism. So hell yeah. And 
if you don't want to mess with Patreon, that's fine. You can become a member here on YouTube. You can also become a member over there on Twitch. Shout out to all the Twitch people watching now. And uh, if you want to tip the show, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Catch app for the, just the little one-offs, you know? Um, but yeah, so good to have you guys here. It's It's been a little bit of time, and there is... There's not, there's never enough time in this show to get to everything, but we're going to do what we can. We have a little more breathing room. We have some stretching room and I got Mike, but in the meantime, if you're here, of course, like all the things, of course, also please leave the podcast five stars, this little labor of love, this little shoestring operation. And for now, let's get into it. This is what are you bitching about? So, um, there's so many things. Uh, I hate Twitter. I am so triggered every time I see the little Doge uh, icon come up. I think that I, I think he got rid of that um, recently. That being said, super delicious and fun. What's happening between Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk? Like, oh yes, fight, 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 fight. Um, but sad little bitches, sad little bitches in a row, sad little Frederick bitches, sad little Frederick. Okay. Uh, hey, Joe Rogan, triggered, very triggered, like unbelievably triggered when I see a Rogan clip go viral. I'm just like, uh, uh, trigger, trigger, trigger. I'm not ashamed to admit that I am triggered by that because I realize how many millions of impressionable people listen to him. But I'm bitching about something kind of dark and interesting and yet in, at once incredibly enraging, which is the murder of the founder of Cash App. Hey. TBR live on Cash App. That was not a good moment to plug, but the point is, um, he was stabbed. He died in San Francisco. Uh, his name is Bob Lee, and it's terrifying. It's awful, right? And what was interesting, this happened on April 4th. I was very curious about all the details that we would find out. Who did this to him? What happened, right? Like, this seems... You know, did they know it was, I mean, I don't know. Did they know this person personally? Now, when a crime happens in San Francisco, that, of course, is not the narrative. When a crime happens in San Francisco, particularly a murder, doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, it is always, this was a unhoused, unwashed drug addict who uh, was sleeping on the streets and, um, you know, because there's no police and it's completely lawless in that city. And uh, we're going to talk about how that's completely not true. But that's sort of what we're led to think. Okay, stabbed, you know, and murdered, you think a random person. Now, we still don't know who killed him. It might have been a random person. It might have been all of the things that fit into the right wing and sort of neoliberal tech bro ideology of what is a, the most dangerous thing in San Francisco, but we don't know. And interestingly, just recently, London Breed, and I'll talk about her in a second, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, said just on Saturday, there are going to be details of this case that are going to surprise people. All right, put that aside. Very curious about what that means. But folks aren't reserving judgment, right? Like I am curious, sad, want to know what happened. No, that's not happening. Instead, uh, what is happening is um, everyone is blaming any minimally progressive supervisor in that city, right? And they can't blame who? They can't blame the former DHS of Boudin. Why? Because they recalled him. 
right? They successfully, so I don't know how they're going to do this, how they're going to sort of back time when Chessa was planting, giving the knife to this murderer, right? Like, but they can't blame Chessa Boudin. So they're blaming a bunch of other people. They're blaming uh, London Breed, which is hilarious because actually Mayor London Breed is super pro cop and has actually asked for even more millions and millions of dollars, $27 million, I believe, for the SFPD. But there were other people who weighed in, right? So, of course, you have Elong Long Long. Oh, wait. Here, hang on. Elong Long Long. Wait, uh, I don't have this tweet, but he said, uh, violent crime in SF, I have it here, is horrific. And even if attackers are caught, they're often released immediately. No, they're not. But that is, again, the richest man in the world and the guy who stupidly bought Twitter for way too much money tweeting violent crime is out of control and all these criminals are released. Okay, so that's not true. But there he, he wasted no time. Then this is just more recently um, where uh, another tech like asshole is tweeting um, who's. Who's out there willing to run against Dean Preston? Dean Preston is a progressive supervisor in San Francisco. We will give you unlimited support to create a safer San Francisco and remove this incompetent fool. And of course, Elon Musk weighs in and says, good question. Who is willing to run against Dean Preston? Elon would, but he's too busy stuffing his fucking face in tartine. All right? Carb face, motherfucker. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry. This is, I don't, it's my own show. I don't have to apologize for shit. Here's the reality. Everyone builds up crime in San Francisco like it is absolutely out of control, like it's insane, like it's more than any other any other city in the country. And the reality is, no, it's just a city that happens to be one of the most unequal in the country and has the misfortune of having a bunch of rich VCs who are constantly and perpetually and terminally online also living in it. But when you do the comparisons, um, SF Chronicle. Uh, did a comparison about looking at similar sized cities. Indianapolis had 210 homicides in 2022. How many did San Francisco have? 56. 56. So no, there are more homicides disproportionately in San Francisco. It is not a more dangerous city in San Francisco. And in fact, the, the cr crime in San Francisco is at its lowest point since 1985, y'all. The reason I'm mad, obviously, I used to live there. I've seen it with my own eyes. The inequality is striking is it upsetting yes do you feel sometimes insecure because there are people who are insecure and live out outdoors or attempt to yeah yeah but does that translate into the fact that crime is more real no and i don't want to get onto a tangent but y'all you've had your car broken into in san francisco if you're hearing my voice and you've actually parked a car in san francisco i know you have guess who else knows you've had your car broken into the police they know exactly who is breaking into cars they know exactly where they break into cars and guess what the, they don't do shit about it why because they want to keep their budgets up are you kidding me now i don't want to get too deep on that digression but i did put up this tweet briefly this is from uh, michelle tandler who i guess fancies herself some sort of influencer she is a um I guess, again, kind of like a centrist neolib. She used to work uh, for the McKinsey consulting firm. So shout out to her buddy, Pete Buttigieg. Um, she also was an intern with Diane Feinstein. 
She lives in the city. She says, this is somehow unironic. Our society seems to become seriously complacent. A hundred years ago in SF, people were publicly hung for their crimes, often by vigilante groups that wanted to send a message. The hangings worked. Crime would plummet after a few of them, often for many months at a time. Now, I don't know if this is in direct reference to the murder of Bob Lee, but you can, this is probably off of the back of that. It seems like it is. And uh, yeah, just openly saying we should hang people. We should, let's do public executions, lynchings, in, in fact. Let's do lynchings again. This is how, to quote Logan Roy, how unserious these people are about stopping crime in San Francisco. Uh, and yeah, once again, no fucking details. Everyone's jumping to conclusions. Now people want to oust some of the dopest supervisors in that city. Some of the people who are actually working to mitigate said inequality that leads to said crime, that leads to so much instability. People who are fighting for safe, uh, um, safe injection sites. People who are fighting for places to go to the bathroom. People who are fighting to actually put people in homes and you want to get rid of them. So um, I'm sorry, San Francisco, for what it's become and not because of the crime, but because of all the vultures that you have who uh, want to turn you into an Ayn Rand wet dream. And um, hey, somehow it's not feasible when you haven't taken care of everyone. Uh, your little downtown playground with its Whole Foods that just shuttered that has fools freaking out. Because, oh my God, the whole food, we can't get rid of the whole food. Well, you guys know what a cursed corner is? That corner is cursed. You know when like no businesses survive there? Yeah, no business is going to survive there. In downtown where it's the most unequal place, not just in this, like in the state, in the, not in the city, not in the state, but maybe in the country. You go to like Six and Market or I believe, yeah, it's, yeah, Six and Market and it's like, ooh. People just need regular food. They, how about half food? They don't even need whole food. You think it's not going to survive when all the tech workers went home to work remotely? Nobody's going out to lunch anymore, you idiots. The whole food, shut up. Shut up. Shut up and take care of I'm tired of fragile billionaires. You'd think with all your money, again, what do we say in on this show? Say it with me. Fuck off into the night. Fuck off into the night. Take your money and fuck off into the night. If I made that much money, you would never hear from me again. Fuck off into the night. Go live your life offline. Okay. That does it for me. What are you bitching about? But more importantly, what is my guest? Um who is joining us for the rest of the show, bitching about, uh, why am I not finding his, uh, he hosts the leftist political news show, The Humanist Report. Please welcome Mike Figueredo. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks for the invite. Thanks for being here, I, um, <laughs> I, yeah. That was an I, excellent rant, by the way. Thank you, thank you. You know, there's just a few things and it's like, Putting national targets on these supervisors' backs is 
so scary to me and so upsetting. And it's the reason that like, you know, Chesa Boudin, who was a DA in office for what, a year? Um, why there was tons of money poured into this campaign that got him ousted. And mm -hmm. anyway, I can't even, this whole notion that like Democrats are ruining cities, money is ruining cities. That's just, that's the stuff that like, I can't, it drives me nuts. But, um, yeah. and also Democrats love police. Hello, London Breeze right? loves police. <laughs> hearts. She hearts police so hard. She had, okay, she, a little, little, little side note about London Breed. She was uh, having lunch. Uh, I don't remember which park she was in in San Francisco. And there was like a homeless person near her. She called the cops to have that person removed. So she didn't have to like see it or be there. You know what I mean? And that's, and like some people would probably hear that story and be like, hell yeah, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. It's like a Uber, but for removing people, you just call an Uber to get the unhoused person away. <sighs> Mike. Welcome to the show. We Thank start you. this show off on the lightest note, which is asking our guests, what are you bitching about? Oh, my God. I think the true question is, what am I not bitching about? I mean, basically everything this week and the week before that. And yeah, really what's been on my mind, though, in particular, is this MAGA judges nationwide ban or attempt to ban uh, Mifepristone, which is an abortion drug the yeah. most widely used one used in most abortions. Um, and, you know, I have a whole subject on that myself on my channel, but it just is really, uh, it, it's a little bit frightening to see um, the climate where we're at politically, where kind of the courts have gone rogue and there's really nobody who has the spine needed to yeah. check them in governments. And that's really frightening to me because we're, we're losing rights at such an alarming rate. Um, and it, it, it bothers me and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm bitching about that for sure. <laughs> I think that's a really, I mean, it's, it's, it's happening at such lightning speed. Like I am reminded of, you know, Naomi Klein and her, you know, her shock doctrine, Naomi Klein, who's been on the show, not so to my own horn. Um, you guys should, can all go back and listen to that episode. It's, but she, you know, it's, that's what she says. It's like the, the awfulness comes at you so fast. Uh, and that is a tactic, right? It's sort of to stun us. And I think we, you know, and it has been coming fast real, real recently, but at the same time, you know, as we will look into with Clarence Thomas and all the corruption, this has been so many years in the making and the entire time it feels like Democrats have been asleep at the wheel. It doesn't feel like they have been asleep mm -hmm. at the wheel. And so they've been laying all this groundwork, building this entire, you know, yeah, like Rube Goldberg machine of getting rid of all of our civil rights and any gains that we've made. And we're just like, oh, did you need help with that? Let me get you some extra cheese for the mouse to eat. And then we can do the, you know, the balloon inflates and I'll help you. Like, that's what Democrats have been doing this whole time and being like, we total, oh my God, we didn't see this coming. Like, no, man, these motherfuckers, they're going to go out to dine with you in your little beltway you know, uh, little exclusive clubs. And then behind the scenes, they're working to undermine everything you've ever done. So that, that yeah. is, that's what I totally agree with you. And, and this Mifepristone thing is, is absolutely insane. I mean, it's the safest way to have an abortion. Yeah. I um, mean, and the most accessible. Is, yeah. I mean, it's it reminds me of like this whole red state strategy before Roe v. Wade was overturned, right? Where they tried to put up as many obstacles as possible to prevent women from getting access to reproductive health care. But with, you know, this particular drug, if even in states where abortion is legal, 
women would have to opt for procedural uh, procedural abortions, which are more medically invasive. So it's like I see them kind of trying to use that red state strategy in blue states now where it's like, okay, let's just put up more obstacles for women there since we can't ban it nationally yet and, you know, make it more difficult. So that way, maybe they'll be dissuaded from having an abortion. Um, It's just it's it's like you're, you're watching this train wreck happen and it's it's it went off the rails, but it's the slow motion part before it actually crashes on the ground. And we're seeing that. And, you know, there there are calls for someone to do something for the Biden administration to maybe play, play hardball Democrats, at least rhetorically, to yeah. step up, um, form their own alternative to the Federalist Society. But you kind of just see nothing. So yes. we're just watching disaster unfold, you know, and it's 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 uh, it's very dystopian. <laughs> it is. And it's also like really flat footed. I mean, I feel like we've you know, obviously abortion rights organizations have been working around this issue. They have been fighting, you know, it's sort it's this whack-a-mole, you know, um, which in, in, if there's a silver lining on this turd, <laughs> uh, it's that it's federal, right? Like this mm-hmm. would apply to all of us. So suddenly we are no longer whack-a-mole. We're all in this together. And we already were, um, given how many people are seeking abortions out of state, if their state has draconian laws, but like, I guess I'm also annoyed. I've been annoyed. You know, when I was coming up, it was like pro-choice groups were um, just very much stuck in the uh, in the kind of the nonprofit industrial complex, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. You know, they were and they were a little bit like, you know, you know, sort of expand, not really working on expanding rights, actually. I mean, you know. There was obviously we heard Barack Obama get asked, you know, on the campaign trail if he was going to codify Roe v. Wade and he said he would and then he didn't. So where's the pushback? You know, where's where's the marching? Where is the massive call to action around this issue? If we know that we are, you know, at the whim of this extremist court and. So I'm also kind of mad at the movement. You know what I'm saying? I'm Mm -hmm. mad at, you know, and, and maybe, hey, I'll include myself in that. But it's like um, abortion rights groups are good at raising money and they do and they raise money off of the most terrible things. And I, I'm, there's no shame in that. But I'm like, we need to see some fucking action. We need to see some some real like if it's a massive day of action, if it's a strike, whatever it is like this will not be solved by simply running in our tracks around let's do the gala to raise the money to put, you know, let's make the calls for fucking Kirsten cinema. Who's going to turn out to be a massive pile of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. like we have to break the normal mold of um, doing politics when it comes to these issues. Yeah. It shouldn't just be politics as usual. Extraordinary times calls for extraordinary measures. So you don't just get back into the habit of fundraising. Like I shouldn't see, my email box flooded whenever a bad thing happens. Like that's the usual thing that you do. But now you have to do more. You have to go above and beyond. And I don't think it's too cynical. Maybe it is. I don't think it's too cynical to think that Democrats, they not necessarily like that these bad things are happening, but they view it as an opportunity perhaps to raise money that they wouldn't otherwise uh, raise because people are fired up, rightfully so. So, you know, just... At this point in time, we just we need more than the usual. And I feel like we're not getting that. And that's really, really frustrating, because if we have nobody to fight for us, then we're just going to see these rights fall one by one by one. And that's not to say that there's like no action. But I mean, at the same time, like this is kind of a hair on fire moment and nobody's acting like this is a hair on fire moment. Right. Like it's just it's it's um, 
it's very frustrating. It feels like those those nightmares where you're like being kidnapped or something and you're screaming, but there's no sound like you're just muted. Like it yeah. seems like we're in that moment and we're yeah, trying yeah. to wake up, but we can't. Absolutely. And we'll talk about this in our sort of Biden flops of the moment. But uh, to, to Mike's point about how nobody is um, doing anything about it, the Biden administration is uh, will not ignore this ruling. They're, they say they're going to try and mm -hmm. fight it in the courts. But the courts have all been rigged in the Republicans' favor, right? Um, you've got J Judge Kazmark there who, who did this ruling in the first place. And you could just ignore it. You could issue that. But they're not. They're like they're they've decided that that's not. Anyway, the short leash that the Biden administration has kept on a short centrist leash waiting for Mitch McConnell for the final ghost to visit him and then for him to like, you know, just turn into Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning like that's we're all just holding our breath and turning mm -hmm. blue. Um, anyway, let's get into it because there are some heroic people in this hour that we'll, we will get into and some people who are doing things not in the usual uh, order of business. Um, but first, um, let's just talk about, uh, you know, our, our boy Clarence Thomas, because this is The Week Queer. So this was a week where we discovered that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas uh, has a sugar daddy with a Nazi fetish. And if that sounds a little wrong, it's because it is. All right. And thanks to reporting by ProPublica, we know that Clarence Thomas has been accepting gifts and lavish vacations from real estate billionaire Marlon Crow, which that name is just the most Disney villain name. I've like, Marlon Crow. <laughs> Like and also mm, more like Marlon Jim Crow, you know what I'm saying? Like let's let's be real. Uh, so so let's go into what um, a little bit of what the reporting says and who this guy is. Um, so for more than two decades, Thomas accepted luxury trips virtually every year from this Dallas businessman without disclosing them. A public servant. Uh, this is according to Politico, who has a salary of $285,000. He's vacationed on Crow's super yacht around the globe. He flies on Crow's Bombardier, Bombardier Global 5000 jet. He has gone with Crow to the Bohemian Grove, the exclusive California all-male retreat. I don't want to know. And Crow's sprawling ranch in East Texas. And Thomas typically spends about a week every summer at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks. So I feel like they're close. This is a regular thing. Um, it's very much like they have like a Google calendar that's like who's gonna be at the estate on which day, you know? And it's like a shared thing. And it's like, well, Ginny and I wanna go to the Adirondacks on <laughs> Memorial Day, like that. You know there's a shared Google calendar is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, ProPublica, this is fascinating, Mike. ProPublica uncovered the details of Thomas's travel by drawing from flight records, internal documents distributed to Crow's employees, and interviews with dozens of people ranging from his super yacht staff to members of the secretive Bohemian Club to, to an Indonesian scuba diving instructor. The trail of breadcrumbs that they just started picking away at. And getting like, yeah, the super yacht staff, which immediately reminds me of, did you see uh, Triangle of Sadness, the movie? Mm -mm. That movie? It's the only, other than Everything Everywhere all, all at Once is the only other Oscar film that I saw. And it's hilarious. And it's, a lot of it takes place in a yacht and it's about like the super rich and all the, mm -hmm. like, all the people who work on the yacht. And uh, 
like working for tips and stuff. It's um, it's a story of haves and have nots. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. It's mm. actually very funny. But anyway, okay. so okay, so that's what was going on. Um, obviously, this is in addition to other stuff that Thomas has done. Uh, not recusing himself from um the election fraud trial uh, or or um the cases that involved his wife, basically, in efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The other thing recently, um, I believe he was a former, he, he worked for a, Chris, a far-right Christian group. His name is Shank. I think it was something like Robert Shank. I, I did a story on this. I should know it better. But he basically was like, went before Congress and whistle blew on the fact that he was actively lobbying members of the supreme court like justices and he was like i don't think this is right we were lobbying them for anti-choice measures uh obviously and um he spoke about how he interacted with clarence thomas and how clarence thomas said keep up the good work so this fool is corrupt from top to bottom um and okay a little bit before i get your response who who is who is uh crow marlon crow um, he's been a major Republican donor for decades, given more than 10 million to in publicly disclosed political tr- contributions, but he's also given to groups that keep their donors secret, um, like dark money groups. Uh, and he said, I don't disclose what I'm not required to disclose. He once told the times, um, he has deep connections in conservative par- politics. He's an heir to a real estate fortune. He oversees his family's business empire and recently named Marxism as his greatest fear, along with spiders. <laughs> <laughs> It's heights, spiders, and the woke mind virus. <laughs> um, he was an early patron of the powerful anti-tax group Club for Growth and has been on the board of a American Enterprise Institute for over 25 years. He also sits on the board of the Hoover Institution. Yeah, all the, just like tick off the fucking, the evil, I mean, talk about cabals, like the evil boardrooms, he's on them. So this is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, speaking on on this corruption and on this story. And I think a lot of people, it's funny because like there's a new, like there's a new line, which is AOC is like now part of the establishment. Like she's, she's been institutionalized and, you know, it's like not so fast. She's openly saying that, uh, that Clarence Thomas should be impeached. So here, here she is on CNN. And receiving these sorts of gifts as after he was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. I think that that in and of itself indicates a very, very serious problem. And then on top of that, he is now implicating his colleagues. And I do believe that Chief Justice John Roberts must now come forward and and state if he allows and is allowing this kind of very serious corruption to happen on on this court. I think, you know, when it comes to to Justice uh, Thomas's statement, when he's talking about his colleagues and when he's talking about who advised him to break the law, I think we need to know who those people are. Okay, so she's referring to this statement in which Thomas basically uh, said that he and his wife, Jenny, um, were just dearest friends and were sort of personal hospitality from close friends and that he was advised, this is the part she had issue with, that he was advised that it did not require disclosure. So he was told he didn't have to tell anybody that he was doing all these things and receiving these, I'm assuming, free vacations. Mm-hmm. Mike, do we have you back? Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay, good. The nightmare has been uh, averted. I woke up. <laughs> 
Um, no, you know, I was gonna say that it's it's shocking to me because our corruption laws in this country are already so lax, right? So to not disclose these things, which is all Clarence Thomas had to do, that would have put him in compliance with ethics rules. Uh, right. But the Supreme Court, they have a code of conduct where they're supposed to avoid the uh, perception of impropriety. So it's optional, really. Um, but you do have to disclose gifts. Now, members of Congress, if they take a gift more than $50, that has to be approved by an ethics uh, committee. So That's Supreme insane. Court justices, yeah. they don't have to do that. All they have to do is if they accept the gift, they disclose it. And Clarence Thomas, for decades, has not done that. And it's shocking to me to see some of the mental gymnastics to defend Clarence Thomas here. I saw mm -hmm. an op-ed in The Hill. I can't remember who wrote it. But it was basically, well, Clarence Thomas is allowed to have friends. And I just love that take so much because it's so delusional and naive at the same time. First and foremost, they were not friends before he became a Supreme Court justice. He got right. on the court and then all of a sudden, conspicuously, Harlan Crow was like, hey, would you like to go on my super yacht? Which I didn't oh, know was a thing. And like, that's so like, that's so judgmental of you. How do you know <laughs> without all the, you know, without the robes and everything, just <laughs> Just, you know, Mr. Thomas, not Justice Thomas. I'm sure Harlan would have been friends with them. You know, they struck Probably. a conversation up at a deli or something. The, their love of, well, this is like the 90s when they met. So their love of Super Mario Bros. 3, that's what yes. really got them to uh, to become friends. It was an Absolutely. organic conversation around like. Super organic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a laughable story. And we all know that nothing's going to come of this. And what I love is just like the collective um like reaction to everyone that's just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised because it's it's right. so unsurprising. I mean, the Supreme Court is cartoonishly corrupt. We just found out from that same religious person, I can't remember his name that you referenced, but that basically uh, Justice Alito was leaking opinions to right-wing donors. So you have that coupled with this along with Clarence Thomas's refusal to recuse himself. And that it's just the a story. joke. Yeah, it's that's the joke. shank story. Um, that, that yeah, the Thomas stuff with Shank was an aside, but you're absolutely right. He was the one who blew the whistle basically on the leaks coming from Alito's team around the Dobbs decision. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're totally right. You know, here's my question though: You got nine Supreme Court justices, nine people controlled of all of our fates. They're the most powerful people in this country, arguably and definitely above the president. You think they're not gonna be corrupt? I mean, no one should have that much power. Like, there's part of me that's like, yeah, I don't know. Who the F else are they going to hang out with, right? Like, they're going to hang out with other billionaires and powerful people who are going to try and buy them off. And there you go. And yeah. I just, I'm, I like, I totally agree that, like, yeah, they, of course, they're supposed to have friends. And uh, this is why we need a massive overhaul of the Supreme Court. There should be, I mean, now I'm like, it's definitely term limits, number mm -hmm. one. 20 years of this? God, you know how many beach towels he's used at the vacation homes? You know how many, like, summer salads that is? I don't know. I don't know how to measure time. I don't know what rich people do. I, I don't know what rich people do either. I'm just like, there's good salads, probably, yeah. from what I've seen. Um, anyway, but it's very funny to see all the people who are defending him. I don't know if you have any personal faves, um, but this is... Everyone's rushing to defend Harlan Crow uh, and rushing to defend Clarence Thomas. Um, but let me let let's, before we do that, let's talk about why, because there's other interesting parts of Clarence uh, of Harlan Crow and things that you should know about him, which is that 
in one of his homes, and I guess in his main estate, um, he has a ton of Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, and not just in like a weird bunker or like under lock and key. No, just on display. Um, he has filled his property with mementos, he says, because he hates communism and fascism. Sure. Hmm. Right. When I hate things, I look, um, you know, I like I said, I hate Joe Rogan. That's why I have like his album covers just displayed prominently <laughs> everywhere. Um, like what? Nonetheless, his collections caused an uproar back in 2015 when Marco Rubio attended a fundraiser at Crow's house on the eve of Yom Kippur. And Rubio's critics thought the timing was inappropriate, given, you know, the Hitler stuff. Um, so. This is uh, someone who visited his home says, I still can't get over the collection of Nazi memorabilia. It would have been helpful to have someone explain the significance of all the items. Without that context, you just sort of gasp when you walk into the room. One memorable aspect was the paintings, something done by George W. Bush next to a Norman Rockwell next to one by Hitler. They also said it was startling and strange to see dictator sculptures in the backyard. That's right. So the other thing he's got, he's got a yard full of dictator sculptures like to be fair like mao is in there so you know it's like folks from the left and the right i think stalin's up there um but like what the fuck very normal very normal things you know i too have a bunch of stuff in my house that i hate i have a bust of mitch mcconnell right here it's off camera you can't see it all oh, right um, just keeps you humble right looking over at that gullet yeah <laughs> the, the turkey <laughs> neck is just you know inspiration uh, yeah it's very, very strange. Uh, dare I say it's it's a little bit sus, just a tiny bit. Um, it just adds to the layer of insanity of the overall story where he's buttering up Supreme Court justices and he has Nazi stuff in his house. Yeah. What What's going on? What What are we doing here? I, like, I don't, I don't even know how to react to this because it's so bizarre to me. Who do we think this person is, right? Like, clearly, this person is someone who is a white nationalist. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, you, it is, again, oh, God. You don't hang out with powerful billionaires um, and also have Nazi memorabilia and not be a little bit of a, you know, fashy-poo yourself. Like, that's just that's just what it is. And these are people, okay, so we're going to get into a little bit of it. But, like, let, let's just look at these memorabilia. Here, here we have, uh, I don't know, a, a giant emblem with, you know, just a, a couple of, I don't know what that is. Is that a plate? It looks like it's a mm. plate for a car. There's uh, a bunch of Hitler stamps. That's cute. You know, just for my stamp collection. Soup's normal. Um, here's some uh, hand uh, napkins. Hand napkins, I believe. Or just regular napkins with the Nazi symbol on them. Also very, very normal. But they're, they're like, no, you don't do that. Like, not even, not even like... Not even in the 90s. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what, at what point? It was never okay to do this. Like, ever since World War II ended, not okay to do this. But again, I just want to say, the Nazi stuff is an aside. The real thing is that not only are you hanging out with Har Harlan Crow. Uh, sorry, I said Marlon Crow earlier. It's Harlan, which is even better. A better Disney villain name. So, correction <laughs> on that. Um but a guy named Leonard Leo, and Leonard Leo is one of the masterminds, if you will, of the far right takeover of our courts and specifically the Supreme Court. And I remember doing a story on Leonard Leo for Newsbroke back in the day, and I'm, I didn't have a chance. I was like, what, what do we? But he's like, he works with the judicial um, 
what is it? The judicial watch or something like that. Basically, mm. they're all responsible not only for um, creating a pathway for people like Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh and those folks to, you know, go from law school to clerking for Bush to then becoming appointed all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that also they put up these phony ass fucking cases that have done things like undermine our civil rights, undermine abortion rights, undermine LGBTQ rights, right? Like they're the ones who um, are buttering up like plaintiffs um, to try and go at some of our established laws. Uh, and Leonard, so Leonard Leo has been behind the scenes and there are photos of Clarence Thomas hanging with Leonard Leo. Again, these are this all the same soup. They're all in the same fucking soup. Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow. Um, but here's my question. What's going to be done about this? Uh, Mike, any any thoughts? Do you believe that this call for impeachment? I mean, I, I want to put up, actually, not only did I play that little clip from from AOC, but she did tweet, if we do not impeach when lifetime appointees repeatedly break the law in stunning shows of corruption, if we do not rein in systematic abuse of judicial overreach, and if we rely on this, and if all we rely on is for those abusing power to police themselves, we have no one else to blame. It must stop. Yeah, well said. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded, though, of what you said earlier, which is you just have to disclose this. Like, mm -hmm. he, all he has to do is say that he did these things. And, and people are going to be like, oh, I hope you had a nice time. I hope that was <laughs> like, then I'm sure there's a good summer salad at that sprawling estate. Thank you for letting us know. I'll proceed with doing nothing like that. That was that's the consequence. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's it. And um, yeah, I agree with AOC here. I don't think that nothing is going to come of this, unfortunately. Um, because we just we have a judiciary that's gone rogue because they know that they can go rogue and there's no accountability for overt corruption. Um, the problem is that what they don't realize is that, you know, the court, the whole system is kind of a house of cards, right? Because it only functions because of legitimacy. Like who gave mm -hmm. the Supreme Court the power to do judicial review? The Supreme Court. Who mm -hmm. is going to enforce their decisions if they have no legitimacy, they don't have like judicial police that arrests people for not listening to them when they issue a ruling. So if they lose their legitimacy, the institution as a whole crumbles. And when that institution falls, you know, other institutions fall as well. So we're really like by not holding them accountable, we're really in dangerous territory. Uh, but I still don't think that anything will come of this, unfortunately, because, again, when you've gotten away with this for decades, I mean – it's it's not like they're they're subtle, right? With the no, leakers, with all these no. conflicts of interest. I just I just feel like I would they're be more surprised faces. if anything came of this. Absolutely. They're rubbing it in our faces. And I think the scariest thing for me is here you have an open, you know, behind the scenes, all of these think tanks, all of these groups, all of these dark money, you know, actors who have been politicizing the courts very, very openly, very, very deliberately and very consciously. And now they're winning. And as we said, we're seeing the fruits of their labor. Um, and then on the other side, you have Democrats who are like so overly concerned and worried about politicizing the court when that's exactly what needs to be done. Because we've we've the tablecloth is slid off this, you know, unstable ass 
like whatever nightstand of America so far to the right. We're trying to pull that shit back to the middle. And then we get called like we're politicizing things when we're just trying to rebalance and recenter stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, you're like, man, your nightstand shit's all over the floor. You know what I'm saying? We got to pull that back. But then you're like, oh, no, you're politicizing it. Like, well, well, it needs to be a little bit politicized. But then it just becomes this eternal ping pong back and forth, you know? And I think mm -hmm. in a lot of other countries, that's when political legitimacy and any kind of um, institutional legitimacy, if it hadn't already been lost, is lost when the courts become so politicized that there is no faith. And then the courts simply become a battleground to score back and forth, right? Yeah. Um, so this shit is not going anywhere. Um, and it, it's sort of, again, I just wish we had stopped it before we had gotten to this fucking point. Mm -hmm. um, last thing, yes, there's calls from Democrats to open an investigation into John Roberts, who may or may not have given the green light into this. Um, they, a retired judge sort of speaking to what Mike was saying, um, a Republican appointee judge who's retired now told CNN that he it made him livid. Um, this is precisely why the public respect for the Supreme Court has plummeted. The judge said this is far greater than mere ethics violations. It's about a perceived legitimacy of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a bunch of ghouls are defending Marlon uh, Harlan. Now I can't say it right. A bunch <laughs> of ghouls are defending Harlan Crow, uh, Charles Murray, who um, wrote The Bell Curve, mm. which is um, debunked BS theory about like why poor people are stupid. It's basically what it says, <laughs> like why poor and brown people are dumb. The Bell Curve by Charles Murray. Um, uh, it's like a hop, skip and a jump away from phrenology uh, that he's out there like Harlan is a great friend of mine. That'll you, again, <laughs> just frag. This show is fragile billionaires. Like that's what this the theme of today's show is. They are <sighs> fragile, aren't they? You know, something that you said really resonated with me to my core. Like, mm. if I were a billionaire, you would never hear from me. Um, I would no. be on my yachts, and I would have in that yacht like a separate pool with the mini yacht that I would be in. Like just because I could. <laughs> I mean, I, I just. Why? Why do you you've won? You've won capitalism. You've won the game of life. Why can't you yes. just sail off into the sunset and just let the normies and the peasants have a little bit of crumbs? You know, it, it's just frustrating. On. We know why. We know why. Because if we lived in a fair system and you fairly made your money, you would just fuck off into the night and you'd be happy. And you'd leave people alone. You wouldn't have to buy the political system. You wouldn't tweet about it. You wouldn't feel fragile. You wouldn't, you know, do all of these things. But if you deep down know that you are a greedy POS who spent their years exploiting your workers, doxing your, dumping your toxic sludge in rivers, then all you can focus on is like, how do I escape the feeling that I've cheated this system and everybody who's dealt with me and I've dealt with. Yeah. That's fucking why. That's yeah. fucking why. Cause, cause they know, they know, and they have to rewrite the laws to retroactively make what they're doing seem totally great and legal and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they got to control everybody. I mean, obviously I think it's, I mean, like hoarding and greed is, is honestly a little bit of a, an illness. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, we, <laughs> 
we have to move on. There are other stories, but just one and then a few others I want to talk about Um, because this was also the week. This was the week where we saw a minority rule up close and personal in the state of Tennessee as Republican led legislature expelled two members. Uh, that means remove them. Initially, I was like, expelled just for the moment. No, no, no. Removed from their positions um, because they helped lead a protest for gun control after the Covenant School mass shooting, which killed six people, um, three nine-year-old children. And uh, that wasn't the crime. No, no, no. The crime was protesting that and arguing and protesting for gun control. Um, So they, uh, you know, Republican state legislature going to do what a Republican state legislature will do. Um, and on separate votes last Thursday, they supermajority expelled Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, a move that left 140,000 voters in primarily black districts in Nashville and Memphis with no representation in the House. They were expelled for their re- in retaliation for their role in the protest the week before that unfolded in the aftermath of the school shooting. Of course, a third Democrat, Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, was spared expulsion by a one-vote margin. Johnson is white, spurring outcry at the differing outcomes for the two young black lawmakers. Republican lawmakers who split their votes have cited Johnson's points on the floor that her role in the protest was lesser. She didn't speak into the megaphone, for example. Ooh, I wonder what that (laughs) sounded like. And we'll hear that. Um, there are some updates on this story, but first let's see the kind of mm, maybe uh, the kind of speaking that these representatives felt so afraid of. Um, here is Representative Justin Pearson um, speaking to, I believe this is before he was expelled. I believe this is during the protest, um, but it's during the massive uh, capital protest. If you guys saw that last week. Um, and here he is, and I believe he's starting off. This was we have a it clips in a little bit, but he starts talking about how politicians are bought and sold by the NRA. And um, yeah, take a look. National Rifle Association and all of these gun lobbyists continue to be able to have control over our legislation. What's going through my mind right now is we need to fight for democracy in the state of Tennessee, and we need people not only just to vote, but people to show up and speak out so that we can end the gun violence that's happening in our state. This is wrong, this is unjust, and this is not the way that it has to be. There is a better way for us to live, and we don't have to live this way. But the Republican Party of the state of Tennessee want to keep things the same. If you want to fight to change it, if you want to help to make this place a better place, you have to use your voice, you have to use your power, and yes, sometimes you've got to get expelled. So that is after he was expelled. Sometimes you've got to get expelled. Now, um, I mean, if I were a Republican... Uh... I'd be afraid of that, too, because that is an incredibly powerful and um, like just galvanizing speaker like that, that representative. Uh, he's going to start some shit and did. He's going to lead people. And we can't have black leaders in this country. Um, Mike, y- your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is multiple reasons why they were expelled, right? Um, One is obviously racism because out of three lawmakers, the two black ones were expelled, but the white one wasn't. (laughs) Trying to do the math here. Mm -hmm. Um, Second of all, like this was a real threat to their power. Thousands and thousands of Gen Z activists, they marched to the Capitol demanding action. And those three lawmakers stood in solidarity with the activists. Like they have a supermajority, but they're not infallible. And so they saw this threat to their power and they thought, 
how do we get rid of it? And that's what they did. Um, so this just demonstrates that the GOP, they don't actually care about democracy. Like they are literally calling this an insurrection. In fact, the Republican speaker said that this was tantamount to insurrection, what they did by basically going to the podium and saying, yeah, we agree we should have gun control effectively. Um, so they know what they're doing is wrong and they're just, they're shameless. There's actually a video that Justin Jones shared on Twitter where he was filming the chants from the activists and his Republican colleague actually assaulted him on camera and he, he posted it to Twitter. So they, they, they are shameless, they're brazen, and they will make sure that they eliminate any threat to their power. But unfortunately for them, I think that this is going to backfire because they made these two men national figures. And yes. now when they come back, which they will come back, I think that uh, Justin Jones was already reinstated. Uh, they're going to be much more powerful than ever and have a bigger platform than they did. So unfortunately for the Republicans, they're in the uh, finding out phase after fucking around, I think. Absolutely. A couple of things to pick up on there. Yes, uh, Justin Jones was reinstated. I want to go to a clip of him in a second. Um, that was, you know, uh, in, in the city of Memphis, uh, they could have um, actually um, held like a month long nomination period. This is according to NBC. But instead, uh, the city council in Nashville just completely um, voted unanimously to reinstate him immediately, which is good to know that that's I mean, can you go back? Can you expel him again? The craziest part about this, and this is something that you mentioned, Mike, is, okay, so Tennessee legislature has expelled people before, I believe, um, for sexual misconduct mm -hmm. and uh, defending slavery after the Civil War. So definitely on par with um, trying not to get shot uh, in a school. Um, but the Republicans expelled them based on the Capitol riots, the, the calling it an insurrection and invoking January 6th. They invoked January 6th to say that this was a violation of their rules. I can't, I can't, like, oh my God, the hypocrisy. Like, just, it's like they learned the word insurrection and now they're using it. Oh, I know what'll justify it. Like, you, you oh, the folks have no they have no understanding of their own hypocrisy it's like it's impossible we feel i feel like i'm taking crazy pills it, it truly is that moment um anyway that's why they expelled them but justin jones been reinstated here's the justin jones before he um what right before he was expelled again uh jones who was assaulted when he was trying to film the protesters so today we are brought to hear where members are responding in the most extreme measure, not because of what we did, but because by breaking the quorum, we broke the glass of your false power for the world to see. We broke the glass of this chamber that someone called sacred. One of the members on the other side of the aisle was in tears and said, I've never seen such a breach of this sacred chamber. And I thought to myself, that representative has obviously never read history. But for so long, this body drunk with power has modeled for the world what we know as nothing less than authoritarianism. And today is the climax of that behavior. That a week after a mass shooting plagued our community, the most direct action this legislative body takes, or should I say my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are taking, is to expel us for speaking about the issues 
of weapons of war on our streets. So again, another incredibly powerful speaker um, and leader and the, calling him out basically on what we just said, right? We broke, we shattered the ceiling the, or we, sh we shattered your false sense of power because um, there's more of us uh, and they should be scared. So um, there you have it. And I, and I, again, in terms of the national figures, like this, yeah, this is not going anywhere. And the fact that like every single one of those young folks that came out around, talk about an apolitical issue, talk about a, like, like wanting to live, not wanting to have weapons of war um, in schools or in civilians' hands. Uh, there's always a moment, I think, for everyone who's like an activist or who, who works around these issues or an organizer or someone who dedicates their life to this stuff, which is like, hey, how'd you get politicized? It's kind of like a, you know, it's, it's an icebreaker uh, for us lefties. How'd you get politicized? And I think, uh, you know, in my feelings when I saw what happened in Ferguson around the protests surrounding Mike, um, Mike Brown's murder, when they sent fucking tanks, I was like, oh, <laughs> you just you just galvanized a whole generation around like civil rights and against police. Same shit here. Oh, you expelled the two young black leaders from this pro uh, about over this protest for gun control. You just you gave these young people reason. They were fine. Just chilling on like, you know. I'm like trying to think what's what's the what's the video game where you get turnips and stuff. They were over there on like um, Animal Crossing. They were on Animal Crossing. <laughs> such a boomer, I'm such a boomer like sense. Well, I'm like, such a nerd. I love how I know that immediately. Animal Crossing. <laughs> no, I mean turn who else dabbles in turnips? But I'm like they were there on Animal Crossing. They're chilling. They're like, you know, trying to bring back low cut jeans, like low rise jeans. Like the kids are doing other things, you know, not sex apparently, but you know, they're vaping and stuff. <laughs> and like you just gave them a reason to fucking fight, you know? And, yeah. and I think that uh, this will absolutely go down as a moment where we're going to remember and reference um, for a long time. And I hope, I hope it continues. And also just like, just shows you how fucking backwards a place like Tennessee can be. Like, don't you feel like even like for these Southern States, you know, I've, I love in California, like at least we have like the optics of like, Hey, don't expel the two young black, you know, legislators because mm -hmm. it looks racist. <laughs> Whereas, like in the South, they don't even have those optics. Even if it's not, even if we like are, you know, power hungry and legislators here like suck. Like for the optics, they won't do it there. They're like, what? Did we do something wrong? What? <laughs> like who? You know what I mean? Like they were acting up. They were, you know, they were, they were being. They were thinking like, about optics for sure, but it was like, well, hang on, we can't expel the white one because then people might think that we're not racist. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. their discussion on optics. Right, exactly. Well, the white lady didn't do nothing. You're like, that's totally true. You're just like, no, don't you see how this looks? Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> and this is, again, and this is, these are like, and then you remember like, uh, the, you know, how that we've gutted the Voting Rights Act, you know, applied to Tennessee. And like, this is the level, the fuckery that happens at the state level, everybody, like, that's where it's all going down. That is this, this kind of bullshit is where it's all going down around gun control, around abortion rights, around, you know, trans rights, all this stuff is happening at the state level.
Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me just remind everyone that uh, a month prior, we were talking about Tennessee specifically because they were the state that uh, enacted a really harsh ban on drag performances. And their governor was uh, found to be in drag in high school. Their lieutenant governor was sexting with a young twink. So, like, they, they got all their priorities straight for sure in, in Tennessee and these red states. They're, they're focused on the real issues. We covered this story so heartily, but um, I think I have like Southern state blindness where I sort of like meld them all together, they blend in, um, yeah. which is it's wrong on me. And if you are uh, here from the South, um, howdy. And I don't think that's a thing, but you know what I'm saying? I was like, ah, but you're right. You're right. Um, what is his name? He's got a great name. The Lieutenant Governor. Randy like, something, right? Randy McNally or McNally. something. McNally. Like yeah, yeah. He, I, I just wanted to give him some encouragement because he had a nice body. <laughs> it's such a great story because you have this like 99-year-old grandfather posting fire emojis to twink bussy pics. pics and it's like, <laughs> what is happening in this world? Like, what we need Jesus. <laughs> No, honestly, meanwhile, like drag shows are being banned. Like, come on, just you can't ban horny. First of all, drag shows yeah. aren't necessarily horny. They're just they're like, ugh. it's something people don't understand. I think that's mm -hmm. the other thing. Like, just watch some drag race. Just mm -hmm. go to a drag show. No one's fucking. It's yeah. It's that's not the like learn about it a little bit maybe if we understood like queer history and like queer performance a little bit better you'd be less scared of it no we don't wanna okay that's the thought of learning is scary itself so you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of a <laughs> it's a big ask Ooh, huge ask um <laughs> yeah anyway uh i'm like sending so much love to everyone who went out in tennessee and uh very excited to see what happens with Pearson and Jones, you know, and I hope they continue to honestly stay in office and fight on the, that statewide level because clearly we need them. And um, I'm very excited to see what happens with Randy McNally, to be totally honest with you. Like, same. I, I'm I feel like he needs to live his truth. I'm excited for that truth to come out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let me just take a second to look at some comments before we dive into our final uh, segment, because Danielle is not here, um, you know. Sometimes when you reach out at the very last minute, people can't can't come through, and it's all good. We love her anyway. She's uh, here in she, spirit. She's here in spirit, absolutely. Um, but uh, let's graph nineteen eighty. What's up? Uh, all hail comedy dragon mama. May she reign forever. Thank you for your super chat, uh, Brooke Morales. Thank you for the show, Fran. Today is a, is today is ass, and your show always makes the day a little better. That's right. Well, sometimes ass can be good, but clearly, I mean, you mean like sort of like <laughs> saggy, like Ren and Stimpy, you know, like li like liver spot ass. Um, I get it. You got to really, you painted that picture too well. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, if there's, I will not skip an opportunity to describe gross ass. So it's a swamp. It's a swamp ass day. Um, Robert, thank you for your super chat. Taibi's political course change is surprising only if we think his career started in 2010. Taibi has always been a mid-brow libertarian. I think you're right. I think mm. that's a very astute comment. And um, some of the folks I used to respect, if you kind of like actually trace back a little bit before, you're like, oh, you were always kind of sus. You mm -hmm. know, 
like I guess all making all those rape jokes when you you know wrote on a expat paper in Moscow like maybe you were serious about those jokes you know mm. they leave you um, little tidbits of like clues here and there I feel like have you given up on Twitter Mike um yeah I know it's not your medium yeah, Twitter is it causes brain rot and I realize that the more I'm on it, the more that my brain like melts out of my ears, but it's just <laughs> I don't think I could be on there much longer if I'm being honest. No, I I'm every it feels like um I don't know. It feels like a uh like like a jump rope game but like made of snakes and I don't want to you know what I mean and it's like a double dutch of snakes and you're like I yeah. I don't know how to jump into this anyway um never known how to jump into uh the jump rope but definitely not one that's made of snakes yeah. um it, I I would I would just forget twitter altogether if I didn't do like what we did but I feel like there's so many good like journalists who get the message out through twitter uh, and yes. really good like there's good accounts that share political clips that I use for my show that I kind of am forced to use it for now, but I use it as little as possible, or at least I try to. But um, yeah, Twitter is uh, not good, and it's only getting worse. Uh, so it's, thanks to uh, Daddy Ellen. It's such trash. Like I'm just like every rep- some of the reply people I have are actually kind of funny, mm-hmm. and which I like, and then some of them are just like, "What is a woman?" again and you're like i'm not even talking about trans issues but what is a woman i just was talking about succession what is a woman (laughs) yeah it's like i'll see the same like i'll see the same post from charlie kirk like Uh three times as i scroll through my for you page and it's the same tweet it's the same transphobic tweet and i just i don't want to see that i don't follow him like i i don't want to see these people who i hate i don't want to see the negativity but it's just there in your face more so now than ever and twitter was always a pretty negative platform i think that like the algorithm oh puts us against each other and stuff like that but like now it's just exponentially worse and it's just it's it's insufferable it's such a bad platform for so many reasons it is but but yet there are those gems um Mm -hmm. and one of the gems i'll talk about on friday but you know roger stone posting a baby photo of himself saying when you call me a fascist this is who you're calling a fascist what the hell is with that trend i've I've seen that too yo i I don't even know but the photo of him he just looks like a little baby fascist i'm like well (laughs) you look evil so it's so strange it's so strange dude i i had a question for you though because as we're talking about platforms and how they're all awful and you know we're sort of running from one to the next you know i'm convinced actually tiktok might be the best out of all of them even though i'm terrible on it um a zero on it um this is from walid shaheed of justice democrats he goes he tweeted and i want your opinion he says boomers facebook gen x substack true old millennial slash gen x twitter young millennial slash gen z instagram hey oh follow hmm. me at franny Fio. uh gen z tiktok gen alpha that's younger than gen z discord slash twitch hmm. so people who are on twitch now are you 18 and notice what was missing which is youtube mm-hmm. mike as a youtube extraordinaire what do you what what's the youtube audience other than heavily and always male i know (laughs) that's yeah i feel like youtube is ubiquitous right youtube 
uh, is included in all of those categories, like as an addition, yeah. maybe not like the primary, but the secondary, perhaps. I think that YouTube is always going to be around, maybe not as like number one, but like the the need for like longer form video content and these types of live streams, I think it's important. But for those of us like with shorter attention spans, TikTok just gets, gets the job done. Like I'm not a big Instagram poster, but I do love TikTok. And I think that they've finally tuned the algorithm to make it the most pleasant experience of all the social media platforms. Meaning mm. that like they know I want to see videos of cats like slapping each other. Um, and they show that to me repeatedly. Um, so, yeah, I, I put well, myself in that TikTok category, even though I am a millennial. Um, because, yeah, on YouTube a lot. Well, I mean, I just you think YouTube, yeah, it definitely spans the generations is for, um, you know, all men who don't know how to tie ties, whether you're, you know, <laughs> that's so true, or whether you're 55. That's right. <laughs> just like I, I, I admit, anytime I tie a tie <laughs> straight to YouTube. Um, I, I, in terms of the algorithm on TikTok, I think you're right. I think the last thing I'll say is like, you know, the one thing Elon forgot is your platform has to be a place that people want to be. Mm -hmm. It can't be a place that nobody wants to be because again, it's a bunch of, you know, cyber truck dweebs who are invested in Dogecoin mad at you for you know putting she her in your bio like that you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying like that nobody wants to engage with that person um so it's got to be a fun place there have to be more cats slapping each other yes everywhere would benefit i mean cats in general are a staple on the internet because that's like that's where we kind of like you know uh i i speak for myself but you probably as well like you know when youtube was first emerging it was full of cat videos and you know cat memes and stuff and like that has always spoken to my soul so you know tiktok is finding ways to you know i think cater to younger generations and also older generations and millennials as well and the thing about tiktok that makes it so different is that there's not necessarily this emphasis on direct engagement as there is on twitter so you know you're seeing mm. the video and then the comments are kind of secondary whereas on twitter it feels like they're really in your face so when somebody disagrees yeah. with you or calls you a woke moralist or whatever they're calling us nowadays you know you really you see that more whereas yeah. it feels like when they call me that on tiktok I'm less inclined to care because that's like hidden at the bottom. And I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a yeah, Because it's thing. video based and you're like, um, my beard looks fly. Anyway, yeah, sorry. right, right. I'm going to compliment you on the beard again. This well, is what happens. I'll, oh, I always objectify Mike because he's got a very nice beard. If you're just it's listening. my most, uh, it's the thing I'm most proud of. It's, you know, I work on it constantly and haven't trimmed <laughs> it in a while, but you know, it's, it's, I'm cultivating it. So yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Todd Roy says, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm on Twitter and IG. So there you go. Hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Um, whatchamacallit? Uh, Facebook. I was like, what? Facebook? Yeah, Facebook uh, a is more boomer, It is very boomer. Let's move on in a sec. But Terrence Trumbo on YouTube, the right-wing Chud police unions have ruined San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, when they're not dealing Fent um, versus Donald Trump on YouTube. This story is parallel to when Alito was meeting with his rich buds while Hobby Lobby was pending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Alex Samaras, thank you for being a member. If you have a if you have not seen memorabilia, especially on display, you are not a museum displaying for purposes of condemning it. Then you're a Nazi. Yeah. Yep. There's a thin line in terms of weird Nazi collection and like fascination with World War II between like fascination and fetishization mm -hmm. like just it's very it's like you know oh obviously murder is wrong and gassing the jews was terrible but wow 
what he accomplished. And you're like, mm, I'm pretty sure what he accomplished was mostly murder and like fascism and ghettoizing people and killing people. Also, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, agree. Uh, Matt Gates on my four Bronco. Thank you for your super chat. A former, the former president has been indicted, so why not impeach Thomas or make him quit now? Uh, not near elections. I feel dirty by this, but let's rally the MAGA racists so they also ask for impeachment. No, we don't need to. We don't have to do we that. Don't, we don't have to touch that third rail. Um, you know, I'm also Clarence Thomas. I believe identifies as white, so the high probability. He absolutely checks Caucasian on. Uh, whatever forms he's got to fill out the doctor's office <laughs> and double O thank you for your super chat. Love you both. Have a great day. Uh, love you. Um, and uh, CM dr 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 Wolf Dragon says these two men give me so much hope. I think we're talking about the Justins, Justin Pearson ah. and Justin Jones, of course. Um, but like we could also give you hope. I know. Well, I, okay. I identify as male. If it's what are we just chopped liver? <laughs> Yeah, what about us? <laughs> yeah. I led a demonstration once. Um, guys, let's get into our final fun segment. Um, this one, not so fun. A little bit of a flop, in fact. Uh, Joe Biden, <sighs> living up to that status quo, Joe, label, uh, living up to his nothing will fundamentally change, you know, hasn't had a hit in a while, is what I'm trying to say. I think mm -hmm. maybe since he attempted to, but then sort of, you know, uh, rolled back and backed away from student debt relief. Um, but it hasn't been good in a little bit of time. So let's look at the three flops of the moment and vote, which is the floppiest. Okay, so uh, the three that I haven't actually covered on this show, but uh, Mike, you alluded, we talked about it earlier. Um, so we have the most, re uh, the most recent, sorry, um, the Mifepristone ruling, the abortion pill ruling, where Judge Kazmark, Trump-appointed judge, said that the FDA was wrong to approve it. And even though it's been in operation for 20 years, safely, and it's safer than Viagra, nope, uh, we got to get it on technicality. Just say you hate women. Just say it. Just say you hate women and you believe they should be controlled in every single way and you don't believe in big government unless it comes to women's bodies. Just say it. Stop with this flirting around the like, well, the FDA, shut up, shut up and say, you're too, you're not man enough to say that you just want to control women's bodies. Okay, that's fine. But anyway, Biden administration, not going to ignore the ruling. Um, they could, they won't, um, won't give that instruction. They, they're going to try and fight it in the courts. We'll see. Second thing is the Willow, uh, Willow project, um, which has been approved. Um, it is an, uh, oil drilling venture in the Arctic, in Alaska. Um, and this is after Joe Biden promised no drilling in Alaska, no drilling in the Arctic explicitly, but um, I guess we need a little bit more oil. So the Willow Project, which was approved, um, trampling um, native rights, and there's been massive outpouring and, and protest around it. So uh, there you go, another promise broken. And then finally, this was also pretty upsetting, um, it's kind of more middle of the road in terms of some trans activists are saying it's good because it's at least explicit, but, uh, of course the right is mad and others think that it is also a reversal, which is, um, the administ administration says schools can bar trans athletes from competitive teams. Um, the proposed regulation would disallow blanket bans 
on trans athletes on the books in 20 states. Because mind you, yes, 20 states have been banning trans youth especially, but trans athletes from participating in sports um, because one person or two people out of thousands scares them. Mm -hmm. Um, And Biden is, the Biden administration has said, okay, you can ban those athletes, but you have to be specific that it violates rules of of like parity and equality. Um, And you basically, there's a carve out and workaround, but you can't blanket ban. Like you have to go case by case Mm -hmm. and make that appeal. It gives me vibes of don't ask, don't tell where it's the liberal compromise, but it turns out decades later, they have to undo the harm that they caused. I mean, just fight, man. That's all we're asking. Just fight them. Absolutely. Just say that this is part of Title IX. I mean, what's so disgusting about turfism or turfdom is, and what's so key about turf? Well, first of all, I take issue with the fact that it's radical feminists. Like, what the fuck? That's mm-hmm. there's nothing radical about being trans exclusionary. Yeah. But is that you in defending things like Title IX, like in this just fake feminist bullshit? You you know way to defend Title IX against a one trans athlete? Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? This is, it's it's so bad faith. Use Title IX to defend women's sports generally, get more funding, get equal pay, get more, you know, all of these things. No, 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 no. We have to use Title IX to fight the one non-cis woman who wants to compete in the body that she feels that is her like in mm-hmm. like yeah these lawmakers too by the way uh there was i believe an npr analysis i could be mistaken on the outlet but they asked uh i think two dozen lawmakers in these states that proposed these bans to name a single example of a trans high schooler or, or middle school uh, schooler causing a disruption in their sports mm-hmm. team or making it mm-hmm. unequal None of them, not a single one could name a single example. So it's just it's it's political. It's demonizing trans kids who I mean, yes. trans trans kids are such a small minority, but the ones who want to play sports are an even smaller minority. And at that level, it's for socialization. It's fun hanging out with their friends in Kentucky. There was this middle school girl who literally helped create a school. I think it was a hockey team for girls because it didn't exist. And then she testified before the state legislature explaining this is just for our friends. We want to play it. Nobody wanted to play it. I helped develop this team. And then they subsequently banned her from the sports team that she helped to create. It's just cruel. Like, they're just trying to be mean. It, it, it's ridiculous. Because it was a trans participant or what? Yeah, it was It was, It was. was the, the trans girl, her and her friends wanted to play hockey. There wasn't a hockey team. Um, I think there, they needed enough players. So she recruited the players, the female players, so they can have an all-girls hockey team. And then she was banned from playing in the team that she helped create. It just, and she told them this. It's not like they were unaware of this. She, she educated them. Uh, and this is like an eleven-year-old, my deal. And they're like, "Sorry, we have to ban you from this team that you helped create." It's just they're they go out of their way to be cruel. I think the cruelty is the point, really. Absolutely, the cruelty. Like if anyone is fun and horny, they're against all of that. Mm-hmm. If anything is fun, if anyone's living their truth. And if anyone is horny, this is the new platform of the Republican Party. Yes. That's based, I mean, if you don't like the label fascism, they'll just call you anti-fun, anti, anti-truth, and anti-horny. That's that's what I think. We, we've I think we've fair. I think we've we've narrowed it down. But anyway, 
these are the flops. I mean, where's Biden standing up? You know, what is like, and again, why is everyone on such a short leash? I understand. Look, I understand. I didn't have a lot of faith that like Kamala Harris was going to be some kind of like, you know, firebrand in the vice president's chair uh, and office. You know, I know Pete Buttigieg, head of transportation, thought it would kind of be a phoning it in. But like, you know, nothing's been done about putting more regulations on trains since the massive derailment. Um, but I didn't imagine that they would be kept on this tight of a leash, Mike. I felt like when, you know, even like Javier Becerra, who was, you know, had, of course, has to be interviewed for, you know, issues around Mifepristone, you know, and he's like fielding questions about why aren't you going to ignore this ruling? That all of these people, I thought that they were tapped because they were a little bit more progressive. They were even mini, like a little mini hop step in the, you know, in the direction of more rights, in the direction of like, hey, in touch with young people and majority of what everyone wants. And instead, I feel like even these so-called, like, for lack of a better term, centrist, I mean, Javier Becerra may be a little bit more progressive. They're being kept on the tightest leash. Mm -hmm. And that's actually kind of surprising to me. I don't know what your thoughts are on on that in this administration. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it just feels like um, they they've unilaterally disarmed, um, like with the Willow Project. Not mm-hmm. only is it such a, such a betrayal um, of a campaign promise, but the reasoning for it is just laughable. Uh, I believe the administration's reason was that they believed that they were going to lose the court case and would be forced to allow the company to drill there anyway. So they're just like, okay, yes. go ahead. It's like, I mean. Are we going to fight even just a tiny bit or even pretend to fight? Just thinking of the optics, going back to that, just so that way you communicate to us that you're even trying. But he's he's not like he doesn't even care that we see that he's not even phoning it in. It's just, oh, well, what yes. are you going to do? You've got me or you've got Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. So best of luck Absolutely. if you choose to you know abandon me. It's just it's very frustrating because yeah, yeah, have- we don't need that right now. <laughs> Have fun with the culture war. It's distracting everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. that's such a good point. Like, um, that they've given up before they even started fighting. And so mm-hmm. the idea that they're gonna fight this Mifepristone ruling is like, really? Oh, so you like you fought the Willow Project, you know, like you like again, you're right. Like they were like, Well, we're probably gonna lose this anyway, so whatever. I mean, they tried to repeal Title 42, right? Which, you know, stopping uh folks from seeking asylum in this country. Because of the pandemic, which Republicans somehow think is real only if you're an immigrant. Um, and they mm-hmm. lost on that. But it's like, what are we, where is the executive actions? Where's the workarounds? Where's, I mean, remember, remember when Dobbs was first overturned? Talking about, you know, oh, like clinics on federal land. Oh, you know, that God, was again, that's a conversation so long ago, it feels like. What a pipe dream. Oh, so, right, right. You know, and then you have even, so, you know, I'm even you have Deb Haaland, speaking of the Willow Project. Deb Haaland, Secretary of Interior, had to had to like speak out. I mean, like basically say that it's unfortunate, but we do have to go forward with this and give the line that if they go forward with this drilling project, it will actually spare a bunch of other land, which I'm like, oh, honey, this sounds like an Israeli settlement situation here. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm point. saying? Like. You yeah. you're, miss me with that. I no. Mm-hmm. This is you know it's just like a drug addict when it comes like this is the final hit. I promise you, if I do just this heroin, then I won't do all of this coke. But yeah, that's that's exactly it. they can't help themselves. You know they 
they love giving in, um, you know, to to the right, to special interests. Um, I like I feel like they they get like some sort of a sick thrill out of it, not to king shame, but it's just this is what Democrats <laughs> do. You know, it's what they've done throughout my life. They've always capitulated and overly compromised, unilaterally disarmed. And this is really no different. So, I mean, Biden, at least one promise that he's kept is that nothing will fundamentally change because, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Absolutely. And uh, I swear to God, when my premiums for my health care that I buy on the marketplace, when them shits are back to normal. And by normal, I mean completely out of my reach. I'll be so mad. Yep. It's like the one thing that they did in the American Rescue Plan was like help with premiums. And when that, and it's still awful. Anyway, yeah. which is the, okay, which is the worst? Willow Project? This is so, such a sad exercise. <laughs> this is not fun. Willow Project, Mifepristone, or trans athletes? <sighs> it's like choosing between like, yeah, which different STI size. do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say different size turrets, but that's probably better. Yeah. Probably the Willow Project, just because it's such an explicit betrayal. Um, I mean, the trans one, too. Uh, it's all it's all so bad. It's, God. Yeah. I think Willow Project, you know, it's funny because as we were talking about it, I talked myself into that one, even though that was like the third on my list. But it seems like, you know, maybe with the, you know, ruling around Title IX and the Mifepristone, like it's not, the song isn't sung, mm-hmm. sung yet, whereas the Willow Project is. And it's like, man, the oil and gas industry has this administration by the balls. Yeah. And every Democratic administration they will have by the balls. They're like our cartels. You know what I mean? They're, they are our cartels. Mm-hmm. And unless you actually stand up to them and put a bunch of money into, um, you know, breaking up their little layers and stopping them from distributing their materials and laying out all the oil and gas that you found, you know, in a like a little badass photo in front of you. Like we go after cartels. I'm sorry, I'm just continuing this metaphor. Um, it's a good metaphor, though. It's a lot of metaphors today. But yeah, they, they like you, you have to deal with them. They have you they have you by, you know, it's a mafia mm-hmm. and. Only an ideology like Bernie Sanders, only someone who's like, I'm willing to break with this industry. Because fuck y'all. Mm-hmm. Only that will actually stop climate change and impending climate doom. Um, yeah. Anywho, Mike Figueredo, what a show. What a time. Just you and me chilling. Uh, I've been enjoying. Thank you for laughing at some of my jokes. Thank Your you jokes for being- are incredible. Of course. Thanks, bud. Uh, thank you for being wonderful. Everybody, check out The Humanist Report. And um, anything else you have to plug? Anything exciting? Anything coming up? Uh, nothing. Nothing new. Just uh, keep on... Watching the show for more doom and gloom, I guess. Not the best endorsement, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> well, Mike is so great because, you know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's even keeled and smart and does like great and like the grind that you put in and the work that you put in. So, everybody, oh, thank you. If you're not subscribed already to the Humus Report, you're fucking up. Go over there. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Learn how to tie a tie and then go watch him. Um, thank you so much for being here. Take very good care. And thank you all for being here, of course, uh, all, all y'all in the uh, in the comments section, in the chats. Um, Alex Samaras, again, thanks for being a member. Just change the F to fascist and turf works well because they're not feminists at all. Um, Seth Evans says trans exclusionary reactionary feminism. Hey, still works. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's just backlash. And like the feminist movement has had that a lot, right? Like, like turf 
honestly works because it's like it is defending your turf. It is the belief, the scarcity mindset that um, the more rights we recognize for trans people or black people, the fewer rights will be recognized for women. And it's like, nah, because uh, freedom doesn't work that way. There is an unlimited supply of freedom and uh, there's no scarcity mindset around freedom. Um, and you need to get the, that the fuck out of your head because that's on some like, you know, tool of the patriarchy shit. So anyway, ooh, she's cussing like a sailor today, isn't she? Isn't she, folks? She is. She really is. Uh, thank you all for being here and thank you so much. And without further ado, the one thing that I did not do was uh, load my baby. Load my baby. Believe it or not, we have a checklist for this show and uh, I never fail to ignore all of the things I'm supposed to do. But this is the fart song. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your super chats again. For everyone who's become a member on YouTube, I love you. Uh, thank you to the new patrons at $10 or more. Joshua Caliendo. Um, I believe upped your pledge. You get a shout out if you're a patron at $10 or more. Thank you, Joshua, so much. Thank you. I saw Yilva, you upped your pledge. That is so, so, so wonderful and, and good of you. Uh, love Yilva, one of the oldest OG patrons of this show. Going over to Twitch. Thank you to uh, Liberal Weapons who subscribed for one month at Tier 1. Bienvenidos. Thank you for Frank Morningtree's resub at for one month at Tier 1. Subscribe for 16 months. Says meow. An English Canadian said, uh, just given 100 bits. Thank you. Hi, Francesca. Just hi, Francesca. And Dory B. Resubscribe for one month at Tier 1. Subscribe for eight months. Says eight months. Time sure has flown. Thanks for being an excellent human being, Franny Theo. Um, I try. It's not easy. Oh, it's very warm in this room. I am... Blah. It's very hot. Sorry, I just... You know, sometimes I don't have a filter. Um, thank you guys for being a patron of this show. Remember, patreon.com slash room is where you can do that. You get access to that bonus show on Friday in your ears and as a watchback privilege. Um, again, I will be uh, downloading all those episodes and re-uploading them on Patreon. So if you go to that site and it's like, it's blocked, don't worry. It'll be posted on Patreon if you miss it live. Um, thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, and to Andy Vasoyan, the editor. We stream every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Follow the show at Franny Fio on all the things on Twitter and on Instagram and on, no, Twitter is Bituation Pod and on TikTok at Franny Fio. Remember, y'all, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Yeah, buddy.